This is Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings, and I'm your host, Greg Campion. On this show, we intend to dig below the headlines to find out what's really going on in public and private asset markets around the world. From fixed income and equities to alternatives and real estate, we'll be speaking with Bearings experts from across the globe to get a glimpse into where they're seeing risks and opportunities today. If you like the show and want to hear more from us, just search Bearings on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click subscribe. Or visit us on bearings.com. That's B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. So on today's show, I spoke with David Mahalik. He is head of Bearings U.S. High Yield Investments Group and a portfolio manager on various high yield strategies. Prior to his current role, David served as head of Bearings U.S. High Yield Credit Research Group, where he was responsible for directing the research efforts of over 25 analysts. David joined the firm in 2008 and has worked in the industry since 2004. Prior to entering the financial services industry, he served as an officer in the United States Air Force and worked in the telecommunications industry for seven years. You know, the high-yield markets have seen really an incredible sentiment shift just in the past two quarters. In this conversation, David and I discuss what's been behind that and where he's seeing value today. Here's our conversation. All right, David Mahalik, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here. Um, I think it's an opportune time to be talking about high-yield. So much has changed since we spoke with Martin Horn back in October. Um, the market's seen a significant period of weakness in the fourth quarter, followed by a significant period of strength in the first quarter. So it would be great for you to maybe start by just putting that in context for us. Tell us what happened from a, from a high-yield perspective. Yeah, it's been an interesting six months. The fourth quarter was definitely a rocky ride. Um, if you look at you know risk assets in general, the S&P 500 was down about 13% in the fourth quarter. It's now back up about 13% in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. High-yield bonds were down uh, about 5% in the U.S. They're now, you know, through the first quarter, were up over 7%, a similar dynamic in loans. Um, they were down about 3%, 3 4%. You know, they're up a similar level to start the year. So um, in our view, it was really technically driven. If you think about how the fourth quarter unfolded, I think high yield you know, spreads were at their tights late September, early October. And if you think about that time, you know, people questioning valuations in the asset class, which is fair. You know, spreads were in the low 300s at that point. You had some negative headlines out there, you know, the Brexit story, which is still out there today, mm-hmm. but headlines around you know, Brexit, what's going to happen, U.S.-China trade tensions people worrying that the Fed was going to be too aggressive, you know, raise rates and really push us into a recession maybe sooner than they needed to. And so that led to weakness in the equity markets. You start to see oil trade off. It went from 70 to 40 over Mm -hmm. the course of the quarter. And energy is a big part of the high yield bond market. So you start to see outflows there. Again, a little bit of a risk off mentality. Um, high yield bond funds were getting outflows. Loans were held up pretty good in the first part of the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. So they were selling some of those loans to to meet redemptions. You start to see pressure in the loan market. There seemed like during that time, there was a headline a day about leverage loans and covenants and things like that, that I'm sure we'll talk about later in the discussion. Um, And then you start to see outflows from loans. The Fed got dovish through the quarter. They've only gotten more dovish as we start the year. Um, so, you know, rate hikes off the table, risk off, ask, you know, money moving out of bonds, out of loans, and it really kind of uh, peaked in December. And so we had a three-week stretch in December where loans had 
two and a half, three billion dollar type outflows. I think for the whole month of December, there was like 11 billion of outflows from the asset class. And so this just big capitulation. During that time, as we look back on it now, the companies we follow actually were in the midst of wrapping up pretty good quarters. When we look back now at fourth quarter earnings, which are mostly in, um, to illustrate that point, we have a, about 400 companies we follow that are high yield issuers, but also have public equity. Okay. And we look back on Q4 earnings and about 75, 80% of those companies actually beat or exceeded earnings expectations in the fourth quarter. Hmm. You look at default rates today, they're sub, you know, they're one, 2%, I think actually sub 1% in the loan market today. So, um, so we've got, you know, really, really low defaults, companies reporting decent earnings. And I think people kind of get past the end of the year and, and reassess and say, you know what, things aren't that bad. Spreads went from 300 to 550 roughly. That's great value. And so you see this snapback in risk assets. Again, the equity market up, high yield market up, loans up. That was you know, a period that's not fun to live through. Um, <laughs> but again, I think when you get in periods like that, it's important to be patient, focus on fundamentals, and really think about the risk you're buying and what you're being paid for it. And so, yeah, during that time, you know, I was typing up an email over, over the holidays to the team to really talk about that we thought there was value in the market. And, and before I can hit send on that email in the first you know, couple of weeks of the year, the market snaps back pretty aggressively. Hopefully you at least took a screenshot so you could prove that you, you identified where you saw that. I, I, think, I think I have a draft saved somewhere <laughs> that, that shows that, that memorializes it. I mean, I, I think that's fascinating that there were so many different factors from the kind of macro level, the headline level, but that the companies themselves were performing pretty well. And the fundamentals, which uh, you and your team would argue ultimately drive value and performance over the long term, uh, were actually still looking pretty good. I think that's right. I mean, again, we're in a one to two percent default world. Historically, average default rates are, you know, three, three and a half, maybe four percent. Um, so we're well below that in an environment where you're getting what we think is an attractive spread. So call it four to 450 over as we sit here today, depending on which asset class you're looking at, you know, that feels like you've got decent premium in the market relative to the risk. And then before we sort of talk about where we are today and going forward, what were liquidity conditions like throughout that fourth quarter? And, you know, the market's seeing some stress. We hear a decent amount of questions about liquidity, especially in this market. What, what were you guys seeing there day to day? Yeah, I mean, so we, you know, for, for perspective, we manage about $50 billion globally in high yield. And when I say high yield there, that's, you know, U.S., Europe, loans and bonds. Mm -hmm. um, so we're very active in the market. Um, you know, liquidity has changed in high yield over the years, but it's still a liquid market in my view. Um, the dealers don't carry as much inventory as they used to. But offsetting that, there are electronic platforms now that allow you to trade direct with counterparties. We've made really extensive use of those on our hmm. platform. Um, if you think about what we were doing in December, as we saw this sell-off and really it kind of, unfortunately it peaked really on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and that's, you know- <laughs> Hope in, you didn't in, have any holiday plans. Yeah, well, it's, uh, in, well, in, in any year, right, that's not the most liquid time in the right, market. Sure. People are on vacation yep. as they should be. Um, so, so we had an agenda, some things we'd like to do, given, again, where, where assets were trading. And we manage a large global loan strategy. And in that fund, we were taking uh, single B loans, for example, that you know, we knew they were coming out in the next few months because of announced M&A. We were able to sell those around par or you know, some, some high quality bonds that had held up and then redeploying those, those sale proceeds into double B loans, for example, that had sold off Got four it. or five points now. 
we were able to do a few hundred million. We would have liked to do more. And again, we came into into the beginning of the year with an agenda to do more of that. The market came back really right, quickly. Right, so, right. you know, liquidity in, in general, it's it's there. You know, again, we have a big platform globally. We're able to get things done that we want to get done, mm-hmm. um, and using what I think are new and innovative ways to do that. Certainly, our sell side. You know, the, the streets very important. Just old fashioned trading with with counterparties mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. but electronic you know, systems are making that, you know, adding another source of liquidity to yeah. the market that I think is important. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how some of these platforms have now taken hold in fixed income markets and high yield, um, which have not been probably early adopters to these types of technologies, but it seems to be really um, picking up pace there. Yes. And I think, I think that trend will continue. Yeah. It's an example of, you know, technologies impacting every industry, Absolutely. right? People think of things like retail, you know, financial services as well. It's any part of your life that technology can touch, it's touching it. That's right. It's here. So let's turn to talk about what's going on in the market today. I think I appreciate that kind of review because I, I think that's really helpful to give that context, especially in light of the volatility that was experienced over the last two quarters. We're seeing a lot of headlines around the inverted yield curve. It was something that um, we spoke with David Nagel about a few months ago. It sort of left the headlines for a while, obviously, given given rate moves, but now it's kind of back uh, with a vengeance. So let's talk about that. What is that telling you? And I'm not necessarily asking you to predict the next recession, but what is the inverted yield curve telling you? And then how are you thinking about that from a high yield perspective? Yeah, well, the the easy answer is it's telling me that sometime in the next six to 60 months, we'll have a recession. <laughs> okay, that's so a very exact you know, so the, indicator. So the, and so there's a lot of smart people trying to, you know, predict or, or, or take past events of yield curve inversion and then forecast what that means right. for, the, for going forward. That's that's really hard to do. Um, so, so, you know, what I can say from a high yield perspective is certainly, you know, the lower long end of the curve, the 10-year being around two and a half, getting under two and a half, mm-hmm. um, really put a strong bid into the double B part of the market. In fact, you know, as we look at our book, we think that's probably the part of the market that is probably trading a little too rich. Um, so, okay. so that's one thing, especially when we look at double Bs today relative to triple Bs. Um, so that's kind of how we're thinking about it in the portfolio. But if you think about the broader economy, you know, the U.S., I think most people think we're going to grow nicely this year. Maybe a little softness in the first couple quarters, but a rebound in the second half. So if the U.S. grows, you know, 2%, um, defaults stay where they are. It's hard to imagine that rates won't move a little higher, but mm-hmm. I'll be the first to say that we're not in the business of predicting, you know, where rates will yep. go. It's a very difficult thing. We think about them in terms of how we manage duration in the portfolios, mm-hmm. um, and we can talk through that. Um, but it, like everyone else, we're kind of monitoring the situation. We're, like I said, the companies we follow are reporting fairly good earnings. So we think the economy's in decent shape. Right. You know, another risk that we've talked a little bit about on this podcast is what's going on in the kind of triple B space, right? And the potential for significant downgrades, uh, quote unquote, fallen angels that you could see falling from investment grade to high yield. W- what's your kind of latest thinking on on that whole concept? Yeah, that's been a headline for sure. And it's a reality. The investment grade market has grown and it's, you know, the triple B part of that market has grown significantly. I think it's about $3 trillion today. To put that in perspective, the high yield bond market in the U.S. is about $1.3 trillion. Mm-hmm. So um, if, you know, even just 10%, for example, of the triple B market were downgraded through a cycle, you're talking about $300 billion right. of assets coming into a $1.3 trillion market. That's a significant technical to be aware sure. of. 
that said, um, you know, you really have to go into what are those companies. Um, they are big global companies. A lot of them are triple B because, you know, you think companies, they, they do what they're incented to do. And so debt has been cheap. There's been no real penalty for companies to go from single A to triple B. They're always looking at their capital structure, CFOs and treasurers, and trying to, you know, optimize it. Mm -hmm. And so when debt was really cheap, you saw growth in that market. Um, and it's a similar, you know, to the leverage loan market. There were headlines around, you know, the growth of triple B market and the growth of the leverage loan market. Yep. Um, over the last several years, loans have grown at the expense of bonds. Why? There was the search for yield globally. Mm -hmm. They wanted floating rate as rates started to go up over the last several years. And so that market grew because it was relatively cheap for companies to, to issue loans over bonds. Mm. And so we come into this year, and now again with loan technicals weaker, mm -hmm. you've started to see more bond issuance, right? So companies, they're flexible. They're going to go. ebbs and flows a little bit. Yeah, and so and so we we worry about it. It's an issue. There's a lot of debt out there. Um, you know, we've actually been trying to take advantage of the of that triple B opportunity set today. As I mentioned, double Bs, in our opinion, in the high yield bond universe, are trading relatively tight. Um, we've looked at some of these triple Bs that um, that are actually trading wide of double Bs. Mm. They're companies that we don't think are going to get downgraded. They've got a lot of flexibility to sell assets. They generate a lot of cash flow when they want to be focused on deleveraging. Mm -hmm. They can. And so we've used that on the edges of our portfolio to, you know, buy some triple B companies that we think were just oversold. And we've had some nice results seeing, you know, spreads tighten back down as hmm. good earnings have come out. Um, so that that's an opportunity. Again, if we get a big downgrade wave, it'll be a technical in the market that we'll have to, to deal with. But right now, is if the economy grows the way we think it's going to, companies get a little more disciplined on the amount of debt as mm -hmm. they do think we're later in the cycle potentially. Um, you know, we, we don't think it's going to be a huge technical that impacts the market in the near term because we don't think the cycle is is right there in front of us. The other risk I just wanted to ask you about, David, is Covlight. So we continue to hear about this and we've talked about it with uh, with Martin Horn. We've talked about it with uh, Eric Lloyd. Um, so I don't want to kind of keep beating the drum on this, but it is something that uh, continues to to garner headlines. So what are your what's your latest thinking with regard to Covlight transactions in the market? Covenant light deals are are the substantial majority of of the loan market today in the U.S. for sure. And so, what people are typically talking about there are financial maintenance covenants. When they say a deal is covenant light, so you know, go back 10, 15 years, companies had to comply with a debt to EBITDA covenant or an EBITDA to interest coverage covenant, and and those have largely been removed from credit agreements. Um, but there are still a lot of other protections in the agreements. You're you know, generally first lien senior secured. There are limitations on what the company can do um, in terms of moving money out, moving assets away. And what you hear about more now is not really the Cov Light discussion, which I think is you know, kind of history. It's about incremental flexibility in other covenants of the document right. to, to create really more in sponsor deals, more flexibility for the sponsor to do restricted payments or, or make investments that um, in a default scenario would provide them more flexibility and could potentially hurt loan recoveries. If you think about the loan asset class, one of the real selling points for the asset class historically is that through a long history, you know, that when loans default, on average, they recover 75 to 80 cents on the dollar. So if you have a default, that's your, your risk of loss. You're going to recover 75 to 80 cents of, of par. And so um, that's part of why spreads in loans are usually tighter than spreads in bonds. 
Um, now, what people are speculating is that through the next default cycle, because the credit agreements are looser and have fewer protections, that instead of recovering 75 or 80 cents on the dollar, recoveries will be something lower. Moody's put out a study, I think, saying 61 cents. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. So we'll call it 60 cents. Right. So you have more risk of loss through defaults. And so that is a legitimate concern. We're aware of it. We think about that when we're underwriting companies. But I do also think that that flexibility is going to make active management through the next default cycle really, really important. You're really going to want to know the documents. You're going to want to know the whole capital structure of the company. So if if unsecured creditors are able to try to use that document to their benefit, mm -hmm. you really want to understand what the different parties in the capital structure can do. And frankly, that's what we're, we're built to do. We've got a big team, and that's something we think about in every investment we make. So let's turn to talk a little bit about relative value. We've covered um, kind of where we've been in the last couple of quarters. We've covered some of the major risks facing the market. How about some of the opportunities? Um, and you kind of mentioned earlier that your team looks across loans and bonds in the U.S. and Europe. As you look across that broad high-yield universe, what looks interesting to you today? Yeah, we, we still think there's value in the market. I'll say that first. If you look across, you know, what we consider our four core asset classes are, you know, U.S. and Europe loans and bonds. Spreads today are in the kind of low to mid 400s. And we think that kind of spread with a 1% sort of default environment and reasonably strong economic conditions, you're being pretty well compensated um, in these asset classes. U.S. loans in particular, we find attractive lately, and that's really driven by the technical that we talked about mm -hmm. earlier in the mm -hmm. conversation. You continue to have outflows there. Um, and, and so we, we think we can buy those assets at relatively cheap levels. And there are several cases now, just to give you an example of the technical, where a company has a loan and a bond. They're both first lien secured in the capital structure, so it's the exact same credit yep. risk and the loan is trading significantly wider than the bond. Okay. And that's really driven by bond funds keep getting inflows, so they're bidding up those assets. Loan funds keep, on average, having outflows. Hmm. So same exact company, so same, you're literally taking the same credit Same risk. company, yep. same place in the capital structure, and the loan is wider than the bond. Hmm. Those things don't last. You know, you're not going to make right. your living taking advantage of, you know, if you call that an arbitrage sure, opportunity. Sure. But they can last for several months. But eventually, if loans continue to get outflows and those spreads widen, you know, capital moves in, in this world, right? And there's a lot of accounts that can buy loans and bonds, and, and you'll start to see that reverse itself. But that, that's a tactical situation we're trying mm -hmm. to take advantage of. Now, can I just ask you, yep. loans are, are uh, senior in the capital structure, but can we just talk about that whole concept of security, especially where we are in the cycle? Yeah. So loans generally go in a first lien secured position. So you have a pledge of the assets and stock of the company. So if you have a default, um, this is again, on average and situations can be different, but if you do have a default or you go through a cycle and you have a lot of defaults, um, loans have a better recovery through a bankruptcy process. And, and again, historically that number has been 75 to 80 cents. So, so it's a more defensive asset to own. So back to you know, if, if I can get a similar spread for senior secured, mm -hmm. you know, credit versus right. unsecured, I would rather own the secured credit at the same sort right. of risk premium. And would that statement be true for the senior secured bond market? And as so, well? and so, yeah, the bonds, yes. So, and, and in fact, because there's been outflows from loans, 
Uh, you've seen companies this year issuing more secured bonds. The deals that we've seen come have included a higher secured bond component because companies will have a certain amount of secured debt they want to issue or that, that the market will frankly allow them to issue. Mm -hmm. And then the rest needs to come in an unsecured form and then equity below that if you think about the typical capital structure. So, you know, if the loan market on average is more expensive, but there's a, a high bid for bonds, then companies are going to use that secure capacity to issue bonds instead of loans because it's relatively cheaper for them. Um, you know, we've got a long heritage in the loan market. You know, it's not, again, it's not a, an arbitrage opportunity you can take advantage of all of the time, but, but on average there are times where investors don't appreciate the value of that security and how much more defensive mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. makes the investment. Um, and so, so when we can find those opportunities, you know, we would rather be secured than unsecured if we, if we can. So I guess if we kind of take it back to an investor perspective, investors looking at this market, either they're currently invested in it or looking at potentially investing in the market. Um, I want to just get your view on this concept of tactical versus strategic. And Bearings is one of the most active managers out there in the loan space and the high yield bond space. So I think uh, it probably won't come to surprise to anybody that we think a strategic allocation could make sense uh, for investors. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that, especially in light of the volatility that we've seen. We saw the significant weakness in Q4. We saw it come marching back in the first quarter. A skeptic might say, well, things in the first quarter, you know, does it get better for the high yield market, right? So we had both rate compression and spread compression, um, kind of two really positive forces helping that market. So how are you thinking about that uh, on a go forward basis? Yeah, so I'd offer a couple thoughts there. One, you know, timing any market is tough, particularly if you're trying to do it with 100% precision. So an in or out sort of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get in the market or out of the, out of the market. Um, I, I once sat with an investor who told me, you know, high yield, I, I just want to buy beta. So when spreads are 800 over, I'm going to buy it in a passive form. When they're 300 over, I'm going to sell it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that that's one approach. You know, if, if you can do it and you want to just, you know, trade ETFs that way, but that's not what we do. I think the high yield market today, um, you know, it'll probably never shake the junk bond label sure, that, you sure. know, financial. It's almost, almost every financial article includes uh, that, that term. They always got to say junk. Absolutely. They don't say high yield, it's that's, junk. That sells newspapers. But though. yeah, it does. But if, but, if you, but if you look at the market today, you know, if, going back to what we define as kind of the, the core developed market high yield, which is loans and bonds in the U.S. and Europe, that's a, you know, a $3 trillion opportunity set, 3,000 companies. On average, these companies have hundreds of millions of EBITDA. They represent every sector of the economy, technology, healthcare, manufacturing, you know, retail, energy, uh, you name it. It's in the high yield market. And so we think that it's a, an asset class you should invest in strategically. And just, you know, the last six months is a perfect case study of, of why that makes so much sense. Um, I think the high yield bond market hit its tights on October 3rd. Um, and was at its widest on December 24th. And so if you were an investor and let's say you bought high yield on October 3rd, and then you were sitting there on Christmas Eve and you're thinking, you know, what did I do, <laughs> right? You were sitting there, uh, you had a negative 5.3% return. That was almost 7% of principal loss offset by about one and a half percent of income from the coupon. Right. Remember high yield has a sure. big coupon. 
So you sit there on Christmas Eve. Let's hope you didn't sell. Um, if you did, you said, oh, what a mistake I made. But if you were patient and you were strategic in the asset class, maybe you even added, you know, again, maybe you thought, hey, this is overdone. Um, then you get to March 31st, you've recovered significantly, as we already mentioned. Your principal loss is now 1%. You've had 3.2% of income from the coupon. And your total return over that six-month period is a positive 2.4% or mm-hmm. over four, about 4.5% on an annualized basis. That's not too bad. An investment in the S&P 500 over that same period of time would still be down about 2%. Mm-hmm. So high yield is not a perfect asset class. We think it makes sense for a lot of investors. There are certainly, you know, risk points that you, that you have to be aware of and think about and think about, you know, whether you're being paid for the risk or not. But I would argue, again, at, at 400, 450 over what we see in the, in the market today, there's pretty good value. It is important to be patient, to be strategic in the asset class, though. That is really fantastic perspective. Um, David, before we finish up, any any other messages that you would want to leave investors with today? You know, again, it's it's been a, a rocky six months um, for, for anyone that's invested in the financial markets. But um, when you go through periods like that, it, again, it's for us important to be to be patient. You know, we'll say on the desks, you know, when we're in those periods like we were in November and December, it's, you know, turn off turn off the TV, um, go back and look at your companies, mm-hmm. re-underwrite credit and look for opportunity. And I think for investors, you know, they can have a similar mindset, right? When spreads are wide, go back and say, okay, why are they wide? Okay. And, and in the fourth quarter, it was technically driven. It was outflows. Um, now, now you have to then say, okay, what, what does the future look like? Right. And so in, in our view, and I think in most folks, view, we get into the beginning of the year and the future looks pretty good. Um, and again, you go back to, you get a risk premium, you get a coupon, um, you know, are you being compensated for the underlying default risk in, in the portfolio and the risk of loss ultimately? Yeah, I think that's critical. And, and in our view today you are, um, but, but you know, the technicals can move the market quick and it's very important to be patient. Great, great. Well, a lot's changed since we last spoke about high yield on this podcast, but I think you've just done a very successful job of getting us up to speed. And uh, and I think we've got a great sense for how you and the team are thinking about it. So thanks very much for your time. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more from the team here at Bearings, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and search Bearings or find us on the web at bearings.com. That's B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. Thanks again.